Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we come before you as we open up a new book of your scripture, and uh, we're excited, Lord, to start a new book. We're excited about what you'll do. Um, every part of your word has something unique for us, um, some way of transforming us, some way of seeing you in a new way. And so we pray, Lord, for this next four weeks and for this morning, Lord, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are good soil for the gospel, that are good soil for your word, Lord. We pray that as we look through the book of Jonah, Lord, that you would turn many who are runners from God into runners for you, Lord. We pray that you would turn them around, bring them to yourself, and then send them out, Lord. We thank you so much for the the, the beautiful vision of your grace that we see in this book, Lord. May we take it all in, in Jesus' name, amen. So um, go ahead and turn to Jonah, uh, chapter 1. And uh, why don't we st- stand, guys, for the reading of God's word. We'll stand just for this reading of this first six verses. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid and each cried to his own God. And they hurled the cargo That was in their ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. So um, as we start this new series, we're going to do four weeks in Jonah, and we're really going to be looking at this book of Jonah and looking at God's heart for the nations. We're going to be looking at God's uh, global mission. And there's a few things you should know about Jonah. One is is that Jonah is a part of what's called the minor prophets. There's 12 of them. They're not called minor because they're less significant, but just because they're shorter. They're a part of what the Jews would call the 12. And um, the other thing you really need to know about Jonah from the beginning is it isn't meant to be read as an allegory or a parable, or a fairy tale, or something like that. You might get that idea because it involves a sea creature eating a person and being spit up three days later, and events like that, but that's not the way the prophet intends you to read it. Um, This isn't a Hebrew version of Disney's Pinocchio and the Whale, right? That was based on Jonah, not the other way around, right? The author intends us to read it as an actual historical event. Why do I say that? Well, Jonah was an actual historical person. We know that from verse 1. He says he was the son of Amittai. In um, 2 Kings 14.25, it mentions that Jonah lived during the time of Jeroboam II. It was a king um, in uh, around 793 to 753 B.C. So we're looking at like roughly 800 years before Jesus, 2,800 years before us, um, there was this man, uh, Jonah, and he lived during the time of other prophets. So we don't usually think about this, but he lived during the time of Amos and Hosea. So they would hang out, probably commiserate, you know, talk about their work, you know, maybe have prophetic potlucks, who knows. But they knew each other. This would have been something where they worked. These were his colleagues. And so um, this is a real historical person. Nineveh is a re- was a real historical city, too. Um, this isn't an invented city. This was located in uh, where modern-day uh, Mosul, Iraq is. 
And so that's where the original Nineveh was. It was destroyed in 612 BC, so a couple hundred years after uh, Jonah went and preached there. Um, it got destroyed because it was such a oppressive, powerful, overbearing nation. It had subjugated all the people around it. It was a very awful nation, which we'll get into in another week. But um, the, the six nations that Nineveh was dominating were fed up. They banded together and they destroyed it. And that was in 612. And so it's a real historical person about a real historical city. And thirdly, and I think most importantly, Jesus loved the book of Jonah and he saw it as historical. And guys, Jesus is an expert on reality. Jesus has proven himself, out of all people in history, to be an expert on reality, including history. And so he saw the book of Jonah as history. If you look in Matthew 12, 41, Jesus says to the people he's preaching to, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and will condemn it. For they preached, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. He's saying that, hey, in the future when there's the judgment, these people that Jonah preached to will be there, and they're going to condemn this first century audience that wouldn't accept Christ, because Christ is better than Jonah. So he believes these are historical people that are going to show up later, right? And so Jesus saw it as a historical book. Um, more specifically, it's called a prophetic narrative. Uh, prophetic narrative, we have another example, which is the beginning of Daniel. The beginning of Daniel is a more of a, it's a narrative. It's a story of Daniel's life. Jonah focuses way more on the prophet than the message he was preaching. Very little of his preaching, mostly about his life. And guys, what it shows of Jonah is not good. This is a prophet behaving very, very badly. Okay? Um, and though this is a historical account of a real Hebrew prophet living 800 years before Jesus with real events, it's also, guys, a rebuke of the nation at that time. Um, the uh, refusal that uh, Jonah had to finishing God's mission is mirrored or was mir a mirror of Israel's refusal to live as a light to the nations and fin finish out her mission. And so Jonah is a kind of microcosm of the whole nation. His callous disregard for the nations reflects the heart of God's people during that time. And, and I think it's going to really serve as a great heart check to us as a church. Do we share um, our missionary God's heart, or do we share Jonah's heart towards the nations as his new covenant people? Okay, so what is our heart toward the nations and God's mission? And so we're going to look through this, and we're going to look basically the mission given, uh, the mission refused, then we'll see the mission insisted, what God does there, and then we'll fast forward to how it connects to us. Um, first, the mission given. Look at verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. You may notice um, that the word Lord there is in all caps, or you might have like short all caps. Um, that's to show us that that word Lord that's being used there is the word Yahweh. It's the word Jehovah. It was a, it's the covenant name of God. It's a, it's a very personal name that God gave to his covenant people to show them that they are a special people to him. You'll be my special people. I'm going to share with you my name, my special name, because you're my special people. But then there's a surprise here in this book because here we have Yahweh, the one who's given his covenant name to his people. You're my special people saying, hey, go to that nation over there and, and, and tell them about me. Uh, uh, Jonah is asked to go and take a message to Nineveh, the pagan capital of Assyria. Guys, and what this reminds us, it reminds us that our God is a missionary God. Our God is a God who sends his people out on mission to finish a mission to the nations. And uh, you might not think that this looks like a missionary call, right? It sounds more like just a call for judgment. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it. It might sound like a message of judgment, but within it, guys, there's an implied offer of grace. 
is an implied offer of like, I'm going to destroy your nation, but if you'll turn, you won't be destroyed. And why do I say that? Well, I say that because God destroyed a lot of foreign nations in the Old Testament without warning them. Just the fact that they're getting a warning is an implied, hey, you have an opportunity to turn. And also, we know it from the end of the book. We know from the end of the book, and I don't want to spoil the story, but we know from the end of the book that Jonah knew that this was an offer of grace. Jonah knew this was an offer for them to turn and to be saved. Our God is a missionary God. Look at how our missionary God looks at Nineveh. And we're going to learn more about Nineveh in the next couple weeks. But this is the way God thinks about Nineveh. He calls it great. Go out and call against that great city, Nineveh. Um, We know from later in the book that it took three days to visit Nineveh, to really take in all that Nineveh was. It would take three days to do that. It was the capital of Syria, Assyria. It was the largest city shortly before it was destroyed 200 years later. Um, People have said, and we don't have total facts about this, but people have said that its walls were 100 feet high and wide enough that three chariots could go across the top of it side by side. I mean, this is like mind-bogglingly big. And there's a lot of things in the ancient world that you go like, How'd they build that, you know? How do they, how do they build that crazy, massive thing, you know? But um, so they built this incredibly large city. And you can imagine Jonah thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to walk right in there and say this, and they're going to listen to me, right? Um, it'd be like somebody walking to, into Washington, D.C. with a message like that from a foreign country and just trying to get the whole nation to change. Or maybe even closer to walk into, you know, the city of Berlin in the 40s, you know, and, and call out against it. That's what he's being called to do. This is a great city. And God also believes it to be a great city, not just because it's big, but because it's filled with human beings he has compassion for. We learn that in uh, chapter 4, verse 11. God says to Jonah, he says, Should I not have pity on Nineveh, the great city? For there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. God sees it as a great city because it's filled with precious people he wants to save which you guys will find more and more remarkable as you see how evil it is. So he sees it as a great city, a city full of people that are precious that he wants to save, and God also sees it as evil. Look at verse 2. He says, their evil has come up before me. When our missionary God, guys, looks at the nations, he sees both their greatness and their evil. He sees their beauty and their badness. He sees people that, that are worth saving, that he loves them, and he also sees people that need saving because of their great sin. And we need to, as we follow our missionary God, look at the nations in the same way. You know, we need to look at them, and not only for their sin that God judges, but for their value and have a desire for compassion for them. Um, We see that with the Apostle Paul in Acts 17. When he goes to Athens, he is provoked by their idols. He's waiting for his friends to show up. He's kind of looking around, and he sees the idols, and he's provoked by them. But then it shows, what does he do? He, He reasons with them. You know, he shows compassion to them. He even acknowledges, hey, you guys are pretty spiritual people around here, which was, you know, also their problem. But he acknowledges the goodness of that place. So one of the things to realize, guys, is that we go out on mission, we can't always be fighting. (laughs) It's not always seeing what's wrong with everybody. It's not always seeing the problems everywhere. God sees this city as great and evil at the same time. And notice, guys, that God gives Jonah a clear, completable mission, okay? Mission's clear. It's not like he had an inner impression. You know, he's talking to Amos. He's like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like he's calling me. No, this is like God told him, go. He told him very specifically, go to this city, do this thing, right? Spoken, clear. It's also completable. He can go. He can do it. He can complete it. This is not something that is unclear or not completable. But there's a but, And it's always bad when there's a but, when God tells his people to do something. Take a look at it in verse 3. But Jonah refused 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and he went down into it to go to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. It's never good to hear a but in this kind of context. Um, Jonah refuses the mission that God gave him. Why does he refuse it? Uh, the, the text doesn't tell us yet. And I don't think it's good for us to even talk about it yet because that's to be revealed later in the story. So I'm not going to get into that right now. We, want, we got four weeks. We want the story to play itself out. But I will tell you that Jonah is not a cute story. Okay? It's often presented as some sort of cute story. It is not a cute story. There's very dark things going on in Jonah's heart, which we'll find out later. It's not a cute story. It's a dark tale, much like Noah's Ark is not a cute story. It's amazing that we decorate nurseries in Noah's Ark if we really think about what's going on there. This is like the entire known human population being destroyed and drowned in a flood. And we're like, let's put it on the walls. Good night, children. You know, like this is a dark tale, right? And Jonah, too, is a dark tale, as we'll find out. Jonah um, goes in the completely opposite direction. Okay, so Jonah's in Israel, right? We know that Nineveh is Mosul, Iraq. And so it's in Iraq, right? So that's to the east. Um, the place he goes to, Tarshish, is in the west towards Spain. Okay? You couldn't be more defiant. You couldn't be more opposite directions. It's as if Jonah walked out of his house in Palestine. He looks to his left and he sees that long road that goes down through the Arabian desert and on into the valley where the Tigris and the Euphrates are. And then he spins around 180 degrees and runs straight to the sea. Like, this is complete defiance. And notice, guys, though, and I think this is interesting, how surprisingly easy it is for Jonah to refuse God's mission in the short term. It's actually, God does not stop him immediately. It's actually fairly easy for him. He just happens to find a ship going the right direction, right? Gets down to the sea, and he, this is a ship going a long ways. Perfect. And then he just happens to have the fare to pay to go on this ship. This is a long trip. This is a lot of money. Don't know how much profits were paid in around 800 B.C., but I would assume not a lot, but he's got the funds to do it, right? And notice how easily he settles into his defiance. It says that he was asleep. He went in the ship. He went down into the ship. And notice all the downs. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship, and he went right to sleep. He's completely comfortable with his decision at this point. Guys, the book of Hebrews tells us that that's the way it is to wander away from God. It's easy. In chapter 2, it says it's drifting. The term drifting in chapter 2 of Hebrews is a term, it's a nautical term. They use it as a nautical term, where you might put down your anchor at night and your ship, go to sleep, and the anchor would give way and your ship just drifted. Do you feel drifting ships? You don't feel it, right? And then all of a sudden you find out you're somewhere you shouldn't even be. That's what it's like. It's, it's actually in the short term easy to walk away from the Lord. And I say this, guys, because it's very common for Christians to make decisions based on emotion and circumstance and credit it to God's will instead of listening to his word. And you hear it in things like this, you know, you're like, well, you know, I'm kind of wrestling with this. I know that, you know, the Bible says this, but, you know, there's been a lot of open doors. You know, I've been wanting to do this thing and I just find so many open doors. Maybe, maybe God would have me to do this. You hear it a lot with people that, you know, they're, they're, they're having a very difficult marriage and, um, and they know that God's word does not allow divorce in their particular situation. They go, well, you know, I really feel like God's okay with this. I really feel like he'd want me to be happy. He didn't want me to stay here. Um, and I have a peace about it, right? A lot of times we, uh, Christians will say those kind of things. I have a peace about it. They're saying, my emotions are okay with this, right? But guys, notice Jonah. Open doors. Ship going the wrong way. Open door. Plenty of money to go. Open door. Peace about it big time. This guy can sleep in a, in a, in a total storm. 
And so we need to be careful not to follow our emotions. So our God, guys, is a missionary God who's joined himself to a very non-missionary people. <laughs> this prophet is very non-missionary. And he's done that with us, too. I think you guys can mostly admit, and I'll admit for myself, I'm not a missionary-type person naturally. There are a few natural Pauls among us, but very few. Most of us are more like Jonah. We're very happy to minister in our own hometown, uh, mainly among people who share our views and have our same worldview, and we're very cozy with that, but we're very resistant to being sent out to the nations. And um, the cool thing is, though, guys, is that we don't have to stay that way. When you became a Christian, you became a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus is teaching us to do everything he's commanded, including the Great Commission, and he will do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we'll do that as he changes our hearts. He'll transform our hearts. And that's what I've been praying for this, for this week and for this series, is that God would give us his heart for the nations. Right? He has a very clear, strong desire to save people all over the world. He has a strong desire for the nations. And what I'm praying for is not that he would somehow pry us up to make us do something we don't want to do, but to give us a heart that desires to go or to send or to be a part of God's global mission. And so um, he will teach us to do all these things by a transformed heart. Uh, Jonah initially, guys, finds it really easy to walk away from God's mission, but does that last? It doesn't last. Because God disciplines his kids. God, uh, Jonah finds out that it's a lot harder to flee from the presence of the Lord than he thought. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Flee from the presence of the Lord. He finds out that is not easy to do, does, doesn't he? Take a look at verse 3. Verse 3 started with, but Jonah. What does verse 4 start with? But the Lord. <laughs> Did you love that? But Yahweh. Guys, this is Yahweh strikes back. Okay, look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid, and they cried out to their own gods, and, and they hurled cargo from the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down to the inner parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It says, But the Lord... I love that. It's not like Jonah says, uh, you know what, I don't really feel like it. And God's like, oh, I hear you. That's cool. That's cool. Hey, Amos, you mind going for Jonah? He doesn't feel like it. You know, there's not that kind of a deal, right? Like he lets him go for a little while and then, but the Lord, right? God says go. Jonah says no. And then the Lord says, seriously, though, you're going, okay? And so Jonah is about to learn, guys, the meaning of a title of this. There's an old Broadway musical. And the title of it is this, your arms are too short to box with God. That's what Jonah is about to learn. Your arms are too short to box with God. Look at verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great storm on the sea. Guys, this storm must have been insane. It threatens to break up the ship. These are men that know that sea, and they recognize that there's something here that's supernatural. There's something here that's not ordinary. You know, these are likely seasoned people that would know that sea. Look at how they respond. They hurl their cargo over. They're not going to do that, and they're, they're pretty sure they're going to die, right? That's how they make their living. They're throwing cargo over. They're crying out to their own God, you know? And um, no offense to sailors, but sailors tend not to be known for their religion, right? They tend not to be known for their spirituality, especially during this time. It says each of them cry out to their own God. Even, even, they even encouraged Jonah to cry out to his God, which is crazy, right? You know, these pagans saying, you cry out to your God, right? Cry out to your God. Freakier than the storm, guys, to Jonah must have been the first words he heard when he woke up. Do you know what they were? The pagan ship captain saying, 
arise and call out. When was the last time Jonah heard the words arise and call out? It was in verse 2, right? When God told him, arise, go, and call out to Nineveh. This would have seemed like a nightmare. (laughs) This is not the same voice he heard before, but this is the same message he heard before. Jonah here is trying to escape the presence of God, and the Lord rebukes him through the words of a pagan ship captain. Isn't that awesome? Here we have the prophet of God being corrected by somebody who doesn't even know God. Has that ever happened to you? Has the Lord ever used people that don't know him to correct you, to to convict you, to put you back on the right path? It's happened to me a bunch of times. The Lord can speak through anyone and does. And here he is speaking through the ship captain. The Lord's insisting that Jonah finish the mission. He says, arise, go, call out. This captain, though, the reason he's saying is he's, he's hoping that maybe there's a God out there somewhere that wants to have mercy on him. He just doesn't know his name. He's like, certainly, you know, we haven't found him yet. Maybe you've got him. Like, tell me who could do this. Um, The ship captain doesn't know his name. Verse 6, the captain says, "Um, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise and call out to your own God. Perhaps God will give a thought to us that we won't perish. The captain's wondering, is there a God out there who cares? You know, perhaps this could happen. Perhaps there's still a way out. Perhaps this guy might know this God. But the captain doesn't know who. But Jonah does, guys. Jonah knows exactly the name of the God that this captain needs to call out to. But Jonah doesn't care. Jonah doesn't care at all. Um, Does Jonah care that they're perishing? Jonah knows the God that could save him. Jonah knows the way of salvation. Jonah knows the way out of the judgment of God. Jonah knows that if they will just call on Yahweh and turn their ship around 180 degrees, they would have the smoothest seas they've ever seen and the best wind to push them back, wouldn't they? He knows this, and yet he doesn't care that they're perishing. Jonah's callous disregard for these perishing sailors is seen in things like he's fast asleep, right? He doesn't care. Captain's like, what do you mean, sleeper? Um, He never prays like he's asked to. Captain says, call to your own God. Jonah doesn't. He refuses. He's all, I'm avoiding God right now. I'm not going to do that. Thirdly, Jonah, he he doesn't tell the captain that he's the reason for the storm. They have to cast lots to find that out. We'll find that out next week. But they they have to, like, roll these little dice to figure out who it is. They don't have time for this. (laughs) Like, they're dying. And the ship's like this. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it works if we're still sideways, you know, casting these lots, trying to figure it out. He won't do that. He's jeopardizing them the whole time. He never tells them that if they would just call it to Yahweh and turn the ship around, the storm would cease. Guys, Jonah's sin affects those around him. And so does ours. You remember the Old Testament story of Achan. Jonah's sin is harming these soldiers every minute. They're losing their cargo. Their ship is getting irreparable damage, I would imagine. You can't just do this and it's fine later, right? Um, Even their very lives. How is our unrepentant sin harming those around us? We need to think, guys, more corporately. We need to think more as a community. And the sin of one can affect others. I mean, how is your unrepentant sin affecting your family, your friends, this church? And particularly this book, though, guys, how is our refusal to take up God's mission to the nations harming others? The writer of Hebrews, I think, intends us to hear this question by the captain as a question to us. What do you mean, O sleeper? It's a question to all of us. What do you mean, O sleeper? We, too, know the way of escape and are surrounded by people perishing. Uh, we will, will we arise and call out in prayer? Will we call out to those around us? Will we call out to the nations with the good news? Or will we just go back to sleep? It's easy to sleep. It's easy to sleep. We're going to leave this story right here for now until next week. And um, and we're going to leave on this question of the captain to Jonah. Do you care that we're perishing? 
right? The captain's asking Jonah, do you care that we're perishing? And we're going to fast forward, guys, to a story 800 years later. So 800 years later, this is really cool, there was another man sent from God. 800 years later, there was another man sent, sent from God who was asleep in a boat. Do you remember it? In, Acts, in uh, Matthew 4, Matthew 4, 26, it says, after leaving the crowd, they took him, this man from God, they took him into the boat, just as he was. And another boat was with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filled. But he, this man from God, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus' disciples, guys, just like these sailors, they, they knew that sea. They were fishermen. They knew that sea. They saw something supernatural here in this storm. And they were terrified. The boat is actually in the process of sinking. And they, too, find the man of God asleep in the stern of the boat. And they, too, ask basically the same question this captain was asking Jonah. Do you care that we're perishing? And of course he cared that they're perishing. That was the exact reason Jesus came into the world, right? He came into the world because they were perishing. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. Not only did Jesus answer the call of his father to go and call out, but he volunteered for the mission. We see that in Hebrews 10, that he volunteered for the mission. Jesus arose and left heaven, not just to call out to the nations, but to die for them. Jesus came to perish in the storm of God's wrath so that we'll never have to. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you, you personally trusted in this Savior? Because this, this whole thing shows us, guys, that God is way more willing to rescue you than you are to be rescued. I mean, this rebuke of Jonah is a kind of rescue, isn't it? He's running from the presence of God, and God is rescuing him through this storm. Have you trusted in him? And if you're already a follower of Jesus, but like Jonah, you've been doing a lot more fleeing than following lately, consider this your invitation to return. Um, we keep trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, but he keeps pursuing us with this kind of ferocious love, right? This stormy, rip ships apart kind of love where he will not let us go. He will pursue us. Do you guys remember what happened in the rest of that story in, in Mark 4? The ship's being uh, torn apart, and, and the disciples are like, don't you care that we're perishing? Remember what Jesus did? It says he rebuked the wind and the seas. Isn't that crazy? He comes out and he's like, he says this. He says, peace, be still. And it immediately went whoosh, flat. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. It went flat. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. A great calm. <laughs> right after a great storm, there's a great calm. What is a great calm? It was a great calm. Right? And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear <laughs> and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? So they were afraid of the storm, and now they're more afraid of the person that's in the boat with them, right? They go, who is this? Because, of course, Jesus is Yahweh himself. Jesus is the Lord that sent Jonah on this mission. Jesus is the one with the covenant name Yahweh or Jehovah. He is the Lord himself. Jesus is the Lord who sent Jonah, and Jesus is the Lord who came on the ultimate rescue mission to give his own life for us. And now, Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, sends us out on mission. 
And um, the question for us as we read Jonah is, will we follow Jesus or will we refuse the mission like Jonah did? And I want to just tell you guys, remember how, remember how the Lord gave Jonah a very clear and completable mission? Remember how it was clear and it was completable? The mission that God has given us also is clear and, com- and completable. It's not an inner impression. It's a spoken direction. We see it in Matthew 28. After Jesus had, had died, rose from the dead, spent 40 days with his people, before he ascends, he says this, The Lord came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The mission that Jesus has given us, like Jonah, is clear and completable. The clear part is clear. (laughs) It's go. It's make disciples. It's baptize. It's teach them to observe everything he's commanded. So it's clear. But guys, it's also, and I think we have not really thought this way. I haven't really thought this way. Chad's helped me to think this way more. It's completable, too. You guys realize our mission's completable? He says, make disciples of all nations. The word nations there is ethnos. Ethnos is not, nations doesn't mean countries. You might think nations, like how many nations are there? 200 or something like that? We tell them all, then we're done. That's not what it is. In nations here, means more like people groups. A people group is a group of people, surprisingly, in which the gospel can be communicated without significant language or cultural barriers. So the gospel can be communicated in that group of people without significant language or cultural barriers. If you have significant language or cultural barriers, that requires a missionary, right? Somebody that's going to actually learn a language, learn a culture, and jump that barrier and and get in there and share the gospel there. So there's these people groups. And there's a bunch of different ways to calculate this, but um, the International Mission Board says that there's probably about 11,310 people groups. Okay, You'll see other calculations based on different things. Roughly, that's what it is. Let's say 11,000. There's 11,000 people groups in the world. And Jesus said, guys, in Matthew 24, he said that when the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all ethnos, all people groups, the end will come. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Then the end will come. When every people group, not every individual, but when every people group hears the gospel, has a gospel witness in their, in their people group, Jesus will come and bring in his kingdom fully on earth. And I just think, do you want Jesus to return and bring his kingdom in? We kind of know where the switch is. Do you guys realize that? We know what will trigger the second coming. What would trigger the second coming, according to Matthew 24, is when every people group has heard the testimony of the gospel. That'll trigger it. Where are we doing so far? Well, according to the International Missions Board, about there's 11,310 people groups, and about 6,400 of them are unreached. Okay, which is a lot. So this is where we are at currently with the mission. 2,000 years after Jesus gave it to us, we could do better. Um, 6,400 unreached people groups. Unreached people group is a place where less than 2% are evangelical Christians. The reason they call that unreached is because the thought is, is that there's a not enough Christians, enough gospel witness in that area to evangelize that area. This is not an unreached area. Okay, There's a lot of people that aren't Christians in our area, but it's not unreached because there's gospel witness all over the place here, right? But there are countries where less than 2% are evangelical Christians. Some of those places, they're persecuted, so it's hard to even find those people. Um, so that's, that's unreached. But there's also what's called unengaged. Unengaged. There's 3,100 unengaged people groups. This means that no Christian missions have been done at all in that area. 3,100 people groups like that. 
Um, that might sound like a lot, but check it out. There are 4.5 million Christian churches in the world. 4.5 million groups of believers gathered like we are this morning in the world. So if you do the math, <laughs> there are 700 churches for every unreached people group. Okay, so we could get like half of those together. <laughs> I'll contribute some money, send some people. I mean, this is doable, guys. There are 700 churches for every unreached people group. There are, 100, uh, there are 1,500 churches for every unengaged people group. This, guys, is a completable mission. This is something, and it's crazy to think about, this is something you could be completed in your lifetime. This is something that can be done. Um, if, if God's people, if the churches around the world, if we would all kind of get serious about God's mission, this clear and completable mission, it could be finished in our lifetime. And that inspires me, guys. I mean, we can't control what every other 4.5 million churches do, but we could get on board with this, right? We could be a part of reaching one or two or three of these, couldn't we? Jonah, and by extension Israel, is being rebuked for not finishing the mission. Let's not refuse him as Jonah did. But let's follow our God, Jesus Christ, who died to purchase people from every tribe and nation and people and language. Notice, too, guys, that there's a promise in the Great Commission. He promises his presence. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a promise for those who are laboring in God's mission. Because, guys, the presence of God goes with the mission of God. That's why Jonah ran from the mission. I'm going to get away from the mission. I'm going to get away from the presence. The presence and the mission of God go together. Haven't you guys noticed, I have, how deeply you feel the presence of God when you are about the work of God? When you're about sharing the gospel with people who haven't heard, when you're about you know, sending a missionary, when you're about encouraging a missionary, you feel the presence of God. Why? The presence of God goes with the mission of God. And, and I say this, guys, because I say this for your own joy. <laughs> I say this for my own joy because I don't believe that as Christians we'll ever be truly happy unless we fully give ourselves to Jesus' mission. I just don't think it works that way. You become a Christian, you get saved and all that, yeah. But the joy of the Lord comes with being at work with him on his mission. And perhaps, guys, this morning you've been awakened to this, um, love for the nation, maybe you knew nothing about all that. A lot of people never heard the term unreached people and things like that. Perhaps we've been asleep in resisting God's mission, and we're feeling just the beginning of like a heart for, for, for the mission of God. I don't believe this happens just in one morning. I think it's going to help. But over the next four weeks, we're going to talk more about this. And because we're trying to build the same kind of heart God has for the nations in us, because we're trying to build a heart, we're going to take supplements, okay? And here's the supplements. So last Friday, we did Secret Church, where we prayed for Iran, and we got kind of equipped and heard about the global church. Next week during service, we're going to have the Vandenbergs, um, Jim and Melissa Vandenberg, come up and talk about their 10 years in Africa as missionaries. So we have people in our church, committed members of our church, that have done uh, a little over 11 years of missions, 10 years in Africa, um, over a year in Indonesia, um, and you could talk to them. You, if you're starting to have some stirrings about this, you could talk to them like, what was it that made you want to go? And what was that like? And, and they did it with little children, you know? Uh, Melissa and I were talking about She had kids in Africa <laughs> on mission, you know? Um, the following week after that, we'll have Lorian, a good friend of ours that we've known for over a decade. She's preparing to go with Wycliffe um, to the Middle East uh, to minister among the Kurds. I can't name the country that she's going to go to, but she's going there to be on the ground, in the community, uh, knowing the language that they speak um, so that she can help translate uh, the Old Testament for them. They have the New Testament, but they don't have the Old Testament. So they can't read Jonah, but they will be able to. 
after uh, Lorian's been there. Uh, another week, we're going to have um, an offering for our missionary, Holly, who's serving in Cambodia. There are unreached people groups in Cambodia, so we'll do that. It's going to be awesome time, guys. It's going to be awesome time in the next few weeks to really focus on God's mission. One thing I've given to you here that I want to show you real quick of how, like, some next steps you could take. Because maybe you're just, like, your interest has been perked a little bit. You're thinking, like, I'd like to do one more thing. I'd like to find out one more thing about um, God's heart for the nations. I've got this sheet. The first group there is um, uh, websites you could go to. Joshua Project talks about what unreached people groups are and how many there are, and you can learn about them there. International Missions Board, same thing. Operation World kind of gives you an idea of what Christians in different areas are going through. Um, Wycliffe, that's the, the, the ministry that Lorian's going to go out with. Um, uh, Crescent Bible Project's about how to share the gospel to Muslims. Uh, prayer Cast is something that, that helps people pray for the unreached peoples. Um, there's an app. If you go and you search in your app store, Unreached of the Day, that's a really cool app. And um, what you can do is you just go and you'll see... Um, Open it up, and it'll give you right the, the Nasu people, a southern Nasu of China. They're the unreached people group of the day. And you can find out there's a 133,000 of them. Um, they do not have a Bible in their language. Um, that's a significant group. There may be as many as 100 followers of Jesus, so they're unreached. That's a very minuscule amount of people without Bibles, <laughs> mind you, in this place. And so um, you can scroll down. You can see a picture of where they're at and things like that. You can see, um, do they have a Bible in their language? No, it hasn't even been started. No one's even started translating a Bible. Um, do they have an audio New Testament? They do not. Do they have the Jesus film in their language? They do not. Are there any audio recordings of the Bible in their language? There are a few. And then you can go down a little further and you can link to, you know, how could I fund these things? How could I be a part of it? And you can pray for that, na- for that unreached people group. Isn't that cool? You can do that with your phone. Or <laughs> there's other things you can do with your phone. Okay, here's another one, real simple one, real low entry. Listen to a missionary biography on Desiring God there. You've got like biographies of Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson, um, John Patton, David Brainerd. These are like one-hour Piper just talking about their life. Really inspiring, really cool, um, really gets you interested. Church history at the same time, which is nice. Um, you can read a missionary biography. Here's a list of missionary biographies. Um, these are ones that I talked to the Vandenbergs, and some of these were the ones that inspired them to, to go. Ask Lorian. She gave me some of the same names, so I put them on here. You read books about God's heart for the nations. Um, there's this Piper one that has a ridiculously long title at the top. There's uh, Let the Nations Be Glad, awesome book on missions. There's one called Finish the Mission. There's Operation World, which is you know kind of tells you about different groups and helps you pray for them. There's a book called Radical. Um, there's the book of Daniel. Okay, and you're like, why'd you put the Bible books at the bottom? Because it makes this nice thing. You see that? How the shorter one's at the bottom. So you can read the book of Daniel, you can read the book of Acts. Um, next one is uh, support a missionary. Um, we're going to do an offering in a couple weeks for Holly, but you could go to that website, you could get on our monthly uh, prayer letter, you could get, um, give support. Lorian's thing is there too. Um, take a perspectives course. A lot of people that have gone on missions have taken a perspectives course first. It's a, a missions course that you can take. There's a website there. But I want you guys, this next four weeks, let's pray about this. Let's pray every day for an unreached people group. That's totally easy to do. We can do this. Pray for that unreached people group. Pray that God would give them a Bible. Pray that God would give them witnesses. Pray for the people that are there, the very small amount of believers are there, that they'd be faithful and bold. Um, We want to do that. I also want you guys to pray, though, for yourself. Pray for yourself. What part, say to the Lord, what part would you have me to play in your global mission? What part would you have me to play? Um, Is it to go? 
Have you ever, and I'm talking to all of you, and it doesn't matter if you're young, old, whatever, have you ever laid yourself completely out before the Lord and said, would you want me to go into international missions? Have you ever just like had the guts to just say, I'm going to ask? Scary to ask because you might get an answer. But, you know, he's going to build a heart for this thing. He's not going to, you know, send you somewhere that he doesn't give you a heart for. Um, Ask him what kind of kingdom investment you should do. I mean, we talked about kingdom giving a few weeks ago. Like, in your giving, think of it as an investment, kingdom investment portfolio. Are you giving to the nations? Are you giving to reaching unreached people groups? This would be an amazing investment. Find some. Um, Are you you called to go? Are you called to send? Uh, Many of us are called to send and go. Um, think about this. I mean, there are opportunities for some of you to go short-term, you know. Could you take one of the weeks you get off a year and go somewhere, like Cambodia or somewhere like that, to serve in a place with unreached, unreached people groups? Some of you guys are students or your teachers. You've got a whole summer. Could you give weeks or months to the nations? Because we don't want to think an all or nothing. I'm not a missionary. I'm not called. You could be called to give a week, a couple of weeks, a month, um, off and on, here or there. Are you retired you are ready for missions, okay? Retired people, think about that. Um, you've been freed up to do this. Maybe this is the thing that God would have for you to do. And when you think about short-term, long-term, think about medium-term. I mean, Lorian's she's going to commit to four years. Commit to four years in the Middle East um, in a Muslim area to, to do this uh, scripture translation work. Maybe you could do that. You could say, you know what, I don't know long-term, but I know that I could give a year, I could give two years, um, I could go for a while. Think about the skills that you have that you could take places. I used to go with this ministry called Christian Veteran Missions where we went to Mongolia. And I'm a horse veterinarian, by the way. Surprise. Um, and I went there and was training horse vets. But there were, like, dentists there. There were teachers there that did a summer school project where they would uh, do teaching. And people want to learn English. It was a great opportunity. There were construction people there um, going to this thing. Um, and so think about ways that you might. We want to be, guys, a sending and a going church. And so for the next four weeks, we want to look on at how to finish the mission together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for a book that speaks to us so penetratingly. <laughs> Lord, this book of Jonah that uh, at first glance seems like it's written not about us at all. Um, Lord, but it speaks to us deeply. And so we pray for the next four weeks, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us deeply through this, Lord. Um, Help us to know what part of your mission should we be involved in? Should we be going? Should we be sending? Should we be going and sending, Lord? Help us to know. Lord, we don't want to do any of this out of guilt. Lord, we want to do it out of compassion for the nations and a joy in you and what you've done in Christ and for your glory, Lord. We pray that your son would receive the full reward of people that he purchased at the cross. Lord, we pray that he would be glorified for his death and his resurrection by many coming to Christ throughout the nations because we spent time in Jonah in Menifee for four weeks in 2017. It seems so crazy, Lord, but you do big things with small things. We pray that you do that in Jesus' You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.